1: We began Season 17 with a song. A young singer-songwriter posted an original piece she'd written in the depths of depression. It was powerful stuff. And the very first time we heard it, we knew we had to invite her to be on the podcast. In the episode, she not only sings I'm Not Okay for Us, but discusses in detail the tools she uses, including music, to keep herself safe in hard times. Here's a taste of the episode.
0: I can't really describe how it was. It was just for months straight. Like constant, like every day. I was just exhausted every day. I was so far in that I was like I I don't know what else to do right now. I need to I need to write everything down how I'm feeling. What
1: Dimitra wrote was intense, visceral and hauntingly beautiful. We'll play the first minute. I- four-minute episode, which includes the full version of Dimitra Prohaska's song, is episode 176, I'm Not Okay.
0: In Teach Your Children Wellness, we revisited an interview with TJ, the father of a then nine-year-old child. TJ struggles with a number of mental health diagnoses, including depression. He wanted to make sure his son understood at an early age that his father's behaviors are symptoms of his illnesses, not signs of laziness or disinterest. He also wanted his son to know that he may be genetically predisposed to similar challenges and that he should speak up if he notices them.
2: Because I wanted him to understand the things that I deal with are common, uh, that I'm not the only person in the world that's like this. And that it was important for me to tell him that it's okay to talk about your feelings um, and to share your feelings because we spend all of our, most parents spend most of their time when, when, when children are little, you know, discouraging them from, from sharing their feelings. Basically, you know, if a child cries, we, we do everything we can to, to get them to stop. So, you know, we, we kind of go down the wrong path of encouraging a child um, to share their feelings, and I want to make sure that I try to reverse that trend with him to where he understands it is okay. It is okay if he needs to cry. It, it is okay if, he, if he's mad about something and he wants to talk about it.
0: Again, the full episode, which you can find by searching our archive for Teach Your Children Wellness, is 20 minutes long and a must-listen, in our opinion for every parent or caregiver of children.
1: Our next episode explored a topic that members of our Facebook community requested. Over the years, we've addressed antidepressants from various perspectives and made clear that while some people credit them with controlling their depression or even saving their lives, others believe meds cause them more problems or are a ruse of big pharma. So we were asked to discuss the topic with a psychiatrist we trust and we chose Dr. Jessie Gold. One question we asked her is what someone should expect in an appointment with a psychiatrist.
3: I think first visits for anybody is going to be really just trying to figure out what it's been like for you and how things have been going and trying to understand what your symptoms have been like, what the experience has been like for you, what, you know, what this has been like versus what your baseline was. Like, what were you like before? What are you like now? What have you experienced in your past? And what are you like now? You know, we try to get a pretty good history of you know, the trajectory of why now and why you're in our office today and not three weeks ago. Um, I think that's really important. Dr. Gold's full episode is uncreatively
1: titled number 178, a convo with a psychiatrist about meds. It's about 19 minutes long.
0: If you follow the news, you've probably heard the horrific reports that unmarked graves containing the remains of hundreds of indigenous children have recently been found in Canada at a former residential school for Native American children. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called it a painful reminder of a shameful chapter of our country's history. For many, that pain is personal, deep, and generational. Weeks before that grim discovery, we talked with Mark Paulus, Oneida Nation General Manager, about how the many injustices and traumas suffered by Native Americans have impacted his community and his family, contributing to, among other things, high substance abuse, domestic abuse, and suicide rates.
2: I started to realize that it was events that had taken place in
0: our history that were contributing to some of those behaviors in our community today. The cumulative effect
2: of all of those traumatic events have really beaten down the psyche of Indigenous people, and it continues to do that.
0: The full episode, Generational Trauma, Race, and Mental Health, is 18 minutes long.
1: Later in the season, we explored another form of trauma, family trauma, and its intersection with both race and mental health. Our guest, Troni Small, shared his family and his younger brother's story, reflecting on how stigma and a general lack of societal understanding of mental illness impede our efforts to support people who struggle. This excerpt refers to a conversation Troni had with his brother after reaching out to Nami, the National Alliance on Mental Illness.
4: I can remember talking to my brother and trying to have those conversations with him about what I had learned about mental health and and what it means to have a mental health condition. And if I didn't have that resource or, you know, that support, I wouldn't have been able to have that conversation with him. His reply, well, there was nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with the world. And I would have to agree. He's right. There was a lot. There's a lot wrong with the world. Um, when it comes to better understanding how to love, support someone who is living with a mental health condition, suffering with a mental health condition. The way we treat them is not the same way we treat someone who is living with cancer or heart disease. And that's unfortunate because they they need us just as much. Their journey is just as hard. And if they're on that journey alone, which my brother felt he oftentimes, he was, he felt he was on that journey alone. So why would he go and get help, you know, if nobody really cares to understand what he's living with or going through? Why would he talk to anybody about it?
1: His brother's mental illness worsened, and he ended up dying by suicide. Troni now works to help other families navigate the mental health system and get needed support before crisis. The full 16-minute episode is available in our archives on whatever player you're listening to now, or at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. It's number 180, Family, Trauma, and Mental Health.
0: After a year and a half like no other we've experienced due to the pandemic political, racial, and social unrest and violence, many of us are left feeling just depleted. So when we had Dr. Gold online for a discussion on antidepressants, we also asked her about those widespread plunges in energy levels and other changes in the ways we feel and interact with others. She is an expert in burnout in the medical field. So we asked her, how someone's supposed to know if they're burned out or depressed? Good question. So I think about burnout as like a step
3: on the track to depression because it's a risk factor because it like doubles your risk for having suicidal thoughts because it's a risk factor for substance use. But burnout is directly associated with the workplace, So that's one thing to think about. So it's like workplace related. Um, It has a lot to do with like emotional exhaustion, like not feeling like you're effective and all of that at work. Um, That's one thing to keep in mind about the difference. Um, I cannot diagnose you with burnout, but you can go see a therapist to talk about burnout because it is something you could learn some skills and coping and probably prevent yourself from going down the depression route.
0: Dr. Gold herself hit that burnout wall and realized that she needed to take a break and get away for a bit, but only after her own therapist identified it. Full disclosure, I also did, which is why the next batch of episodes that we'll be discussing were remixes of interviews from our 200-plus library of podcasts. For the record, I feel much better after pumping the brakes and restoring a bit of work-life balance. This full episode, number 181, Depression versus Burnout, is 20 minutes long.
1: The next four episodes of Season 17 were all with mental health advocate Sam Dylan Finch. He's a favorite guest of ours for his ability to give very specific, real-world-tested tips and advice. He's not the, hey, you should ask for help kind of person. Rather, Sam says, Here are 10 specific ways to reach out, complete with suggested language to use if you're at a loss, whether you're not really sure what's wrong or what you need, or if you're desperate for immediate help because you're suicidal. Here's one example of that wisdom from asking for help is not always intuitive.
5: Sometimes the biggest obstacle is that people really don't know what they need. And the expectation that people should when they're in such a dark space is really like asking someone who doesn't know how to swim, like you throw them in the water and you're like, I don't know, just swim. And so allowing people to just name that, to say, I don't know what I need. And to just express like, I'm not sure what to ask for, but I do know that I don't wanna do this alone can be really, really powerful and letting loved ones know. Yeah, I'm a little lost right now, but just having you here with me is important to me.
1: We unpacked the first five of Sam's 10 suggested ways to ask for help in this 20-minute episode. Asking for help is not always intuitive.
0: Sam's other five tips are discussed in the episode, How to Ask for the Help You Need, Part 2. If you live with depression or another mental health challenge, you probably understand why such a list could be really helpful to have on hand when all your energy has been drained, or you have far too much, or you're anxious and fearful, or whatever symptoms are short-circuiting your ability to clearly evaluate what you're feeling and what you might need to feel healthier and more stable. Having his list printed out, which we've linked to for both of these episodes, could really be helpful.
1: Number eight is near the other end of the spectrum. This one's designed to sound an alarm. Sam says this is the one to use when your survival instinct is letting you know you're too close to the edge for comfort. Say, I'm struggling right now, and I'm afraid I'm reaching my limit. Can you give me a call? And then say exactly when, whether that's right now or tonight, whatever you
5: need. So this one was really difficult to put on the list um, because I realized from experience and also thinking about my friend that What happens when you're suicidal and you you realize that you're at the end of your rope? How do you tell people that? How do I introduce something that's really scary in a way that doesn't catch someone off guard, but also really honors that this is an urgent situation? And so trying to figure out what those words would look like, someone can adapt this to whatever language is natural for them.
0: That's from the episode, How to Ask for the Help You Need, Part 2 which explores the second half of Sam's really practical and doable list of ways to override the feeling that you don't need or deserve support when you do. So the 10 tips detailed in those two episodes are
1: for us to use when we need a hand or an ear or help cleaning our space or Making and keeping a doctor or therapy appointment or whatever might help shift something or keep us afloat and connected. The next two episodes are about how we can offer help and support to someone we know who's struggling with their mental health. Again, these aren't dreamed up or impractical ideas. They're things that people have actually done for our guest that he's sharing because they helped him. As an outsider, whether or not you live with a mental illness yourself it can be hard to know what might help or how to offer it without seeming intrusive or being ineffective.
5: Like, I think there are plenty of people in my life who have wanted to be supportive and just really didn't know what that would look like. Um, And I think part of it too is that we just need to normalize the idea that someone can offer that support without being asked to offer it, which was like a big thing for me is I think people wait for a written invitation to support folks in their life, and they don't need one. Um, There are big and small ways to intervene.
1: For both the person offering and the one receiving support, the earlier, the better. Waiting until someone is in crisis raises the stakes for everyone. That full 19 minute episode is called, You Want to Help Someone Who's Struggling? Here's How.
0: In How to Help Someone Who's Struggling Part 2, we explore the second half of Sam Dylan Finch's list of 11 ways people have helped him when he was struggling. Again, we find his suggestions to be some of the best that we've encountered. We encourage you to listen to and share these episodes on your social media. This suggestion is to help someone navigate the mental health system.
5: You would be hard-pressed to find a person with some kind of mental health challenge that's not frustrated with the mental health system, even under the best of circumstances, because it's complicated and messy and really difficult to navigate. I think that there are folks who don't have experience with this who think that once you realize you have a mental health problem, you just go and get a therapist or you go and get a psychiatrist, and bada-bing, two weeks later, you emerge and you're totally fine and it's just not at all like that there are delays there are tons of phone calls you often have to make you have to deal with insurance which is notoriously awful to deal with assuming you even have insurance and if you don't you have to find services that will still help you uh it's it's a mess and i think that if you're already in a difficult place the idea of having to dig through that mess is just awful
0: That full 19-minute episode called How to Help Someone Who is Struggling Part 2 is available, like all 200-plus others, in the Giving Voice to Depression library of episodes, which you can find where you're listening now or on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com.
1: We've learned from Sam and dozens of other guests that when possible, the time to discuss the type of support a person would most welcome is when they're well. Ask them questions like, when you're really depressed and when you shut down, how can I help you? There are also safety plans like the RAP plan, which stands for Wellness Recovery Action Plan, that you can work on together so that everything's spelled out in advance of the need. We've done a few episodes on those as well if you want to search for them.
0: We have, and preparing is key because when you're in it, it's really hard to be resourceful and figure it out. So preparing ahead of time. And you might say, leave me alone. You
1: know, I just want to be left alone when it might not be the healthiest or best option.
0: Absolutely. We'd like to remind you again that on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com, that there's a red record widget in the upper left corner where you can leave us a question or comment. We'd love to hear what you find helpful, what you'd like us to explore in future episodes, or if you'd like to share your own experience of depression. You can hear us every week, but we seldom get to hear from you and would really like it.
1: We also want to invite you to our Facebook community and to follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We're at all of those places. And also please follow our new funding partner, the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health at Corker, that's K-O-R-K-O-R-F-D-N for Foundation. Their support is making this podcast possible.
0: And I'd like to close our 17th season, Terry, with a reminder to share this resource. If it buoys you in any way, share it. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. The more people who hear it, the more people can be reminded that they're not alone and that what they're feeling And experiencing has or not feeling at all, which depression can do sometimes, that what they're experiencing is common and very often treatable. So we appreciate your help getting the word out.
0: I'm just blown away like every day that I mention that we have this podcast or that I'm working on a project. And uh, I hear it. All the time, they say, oh, I struggle with depression. Oh, I have depression too. Oh, my sister, you know, is debilitated by depression. And just that being able to casually say it, I think, is a huge step toward the, uh, you know, destigmatizing it. It's very, very common and you are not alone. And we say that all the time, but it's not a tagline. It's the truth. It is the sad truth. Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. I love you. Bye.